I'm going to talk about the evolution of asthma treatments and delivery systems from about the mid-19th century to the present. I'm not a medical doctor or pharmacist. This talk will be more from the point of view of the consumer. The history of asthma treatment actually goes back to ancient Egypt, Greece and China, for example. The Greeks recommended drinking a concoction of owl's blood and wine. Let's start, though, with the inhalation of various vapours of natural products. Opium, marijuana, ether, nicotine, chloroform. I don't think so, but they were all used. Eucalyptus oil, maybe. The powerhouse has an inhaler jar from 1920 to 40 that was probably used for inhaling some of these compounds. That's mass object 89-72. One of the treatments that went out before my time was the emetic ipecac, with the logic that if your stomach was full, it would press on your lungs. So obviously something that emptied your stomach would help. Yuck. Adrenaline was recognised in Western medicine in the early 20th century as a treatment for asthma. Even adrenaline could be given by inhalation, but injection was more effective. Adrenaline has specific effects on the bronchioles and was one of the first medications to treat bronchoconstriction reliably. People with asthma through the 20th century up to about the 1960s will be familiar with adrenaline injections and can be reminded of them by Dr Terry's home visits bag, Mass Collection 2018-17-1, which contains three packets of bronchephrine with syringes plus one of adrenaline in oil with the claim that adrenaline was introduced to the medical profession by Park Davison Co. in 1901. At the same time, less specific remedies lingered on. One of these was Scott's compound, 2002-53-1, which contained morphine, ether and antimony tartrate in glycerine and linseed oil. I think it's the stuff recommended to me once on a holiday up the coast. I could not take it. The Asthma Foundation of New South Wales was formed by a group of parents in 1962 and claimed that no research was being done on asthma and that doctors were not trained to deal with it. Many people do not realise the high incidence of asthma in the community and the hardship it inflicts, a newspaper article said and continued. Families are often broken up and children sent to boarding school or to live with relatives in the hope that a change of climate will benefit them. Fathers change their positions for the same reason, often to no avail. The cost to the community in terms of persons unable to work, premature invalidism and expensive drugs is staggering. That's the end of the newspaper quote. This assessment recognised the effects on families and communities but not that on individual children, who missed large chunks of school. This threatened their education and also their social networks with classmates. They often could not keep up physically and regarded by their colleagues as something less than equal. Asthma is generally an invisible disability. The first asthma preventer inhalers date back to 1966, but the drug, isoprenaline, used in them was far from ideal and was credited with causing a fatal asthma epidemic in the UK. The museum has an example of a puffer, the Medihaler, 2020-73-2-1, which used this potentially dangerous drug in Australia, apparently as late as the 1980s.
The method of delivery was novel, based on a small pressure canister which, when squeezed, delivered a measured dose into the airway. The introduction of pressure dispensers to Australia lagged behind Europe. I can't find an actual date, though. The well-known blue puff of Ventolin for relief of symptoms uses this format. Interestingly, it can also be used on cats, dogs and horses, but don't let the dog chew or eat the container. Relief of medications are only part of the story. Preventer medications are the other side of asthma control. <clears throat> and here we have a very interesting story. In the true spirit of medical research, a doctor set out to test various plant products for their ability to prevent asthma when he was when he was subjected to the allergens in guinea pig dander. And he came up with one from a plant similar to cow parsley, Queen Anne's lace, or even carrots. The substance was known as kellen, that's K-H-E-L-L-I-N, and was adapted as sodium chromoglycate. Eventually this was marketed as Intel. However, this one needed to be dispensed as a powder and was not suited to the medihaler type of puffer. However, um, it needed a special kind of dispenser with a little propeller in it. This device is called a spinhaler and we don't seem to have one in our collection. It was current in the late 1970s and into the 1980s. The white powder in this inhaler gave way to steroid-based medications and a return to this pressurised spray can similar to the medihaler, with medications such as Cuvar, Flixitite and Alvesco. These are taken once or twice every day and assist in preventing or reducing asthma. The museum holds some examples of the sports hailer, 2010-82-1, a more fashion-conscious cover for standard puffer canisters. They differ in having a, a retractable mouthpiece and are thus more streamlined to carry about. They were marketed from 2008 to appeal to people doing active sports, but I could only find them on eBay, so perhaps they are no longer produced. We've come a long way in asthma treatment since my childhood in the 1940s and 50s. People living with asthma, 2.5 million in Australia, can now lead approximately full lives, with a caveat that prolonged use of steroids has its own downsides, and there is a risk of developing osteoporosis, for example. More specific drugs are under development. There's a twist in the tale. The propellants used in the puffers are types that contribute to global warming. No longer CFCs, but less potent HFCs. So we may see a return to drugs in powder form. We can look forward, anyway, to a future of highly targeted drugs, which truly give equality to people living with asthma.